Praise the Lord. We're going to continue on with our life class series that we started last week, which is uh, following Jesus. And I do have a slide there. Sister Kerry, do you want to stick the slide up on the screen there for us? Thank you. You didn't have to sit there. It's just a title slide. But if you stick that up there, that would be great. Um, Last week, we spoke about how Jesus went to the wilderness led by the Spirit. Um, was tempted of the devil, and we spoke last week about how God's Word is the tool that helps us to overcome temptation. Amen? When Jesus was in the wilderness, He did not rely on miracles. He didn't rely on signs. He didn't rely on um, anything else. He relied purely on God's Word. Is it there? It is there, trust me. It's called um, Not Stopped by Rejection. You got it. That's the one. He didn't rely on any of these things when he was in the wilderness. Rather, he relied on God's Word and God's Word alone. And that's a good thing for us because it means that when we face temptation, and remember we spoke about how the fact that if Jesus faced temptation, we shouldn't be surprised when we face temptation. Amen. We shouldn't, it shouldn't come as some surprise that we're facing temptation in our life because we're living for God. Amen. But when temptation comes, we can follow the example that Jesus gave us. We can stand on God's Word, we can speak God's Word, and it will help us to be victorious, just like Jesus was. Amen. God's Word is all we need. And then we know that after that, Jesus came, the Bible says, in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. When we come out of that season of temptation and we are victorious, there is a power that comes in the Spirit. Amen. The devil leaves us for a season. There'll be a season where we can be victorious. It's not to say he won't come back. He's a relentless enemy. He doesn't give up. Amen. He'll be back. And we have to rely on God's word. And we keep relying on God's word. Amen. But Jesus' ministry was launched because he was victorious. Amen. That was last week. This week, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to continue on reading in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, and we're going to start reading from verse, let's see, we finished off last week at verse 15. We're going to start reading in verse 16. I'll let you turn there, Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. Say amen when you're there. Amen. Luke chapter 4, verse 16, and he came to Nazareth. Where he had been brought up, and as, was, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, verse 19, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, he gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bare him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, You will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. 
And he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth, verse 25, many widows were in Israel in the day of Elias, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sarephtha, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel at the time of Elias the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. Verse 28, this is the response to what Jesus just said. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. Wow. How would you like that if you're preaching God's word? The response you are looking for is not wrath. It's not anger. That's what Jesus got. They were filled with wrath, and they rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him unto the brow of a hill whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. We're going to read on in a second. So Jesus has come to Nazareth. He stood up in the synagogue. He's preached God's word. And the response was, we want to kill you. They were angry. And so they drug him out of the synagogue, wanting to throw him down a hill. But he escaped. He got out of there. Verse 31, and he came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. This is a city full of Gentiles, not Jewish people. And taught them on the Sabbath day, and they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. And in the synagogue there was a man. So the same sinning, Jesus is in a synagogue, just a different town. In the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil, and cried out with a loud voice, saying, let us alone, what have we to do with you, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and hurt him not. And they were all amazed and spake among themselves, saying, What a word is this? For with authority and power he commandeth the unclean spirit, and they came out. And the fame of him went out into every place of the country round about. Amen. Notice the similarities here. The same preacher, Jesus Christ. The same setting, a synagogue. The only thing that was different was the town. Nazareth and Capernaum. In one place, the very same ministry caused anger and rejection. The very same ministry in the next town caused miracles, signs, and wonders. People were astonished at him. They were amazed. And fame went out through all the country because of what happened in Capernaum. It's interesting, isn't it? Now, some of you may remember, um, those of you who are old enough, you may remember a time when Germany was split into two countries. You had East Germany and West Germany. West Germany was very much democratic and very much like the Western part of civilization that we live in with democracy and all that kind of stuff. East Germany was communist and very much aligned with, at the time, what was Soviet Russia. And around that time, the Soviets launched a satellite called Sputnik. It was one of the very, I think it was the first satellite to ever orbit the earth, and it was big news. And the East Germans decided they wanted to create a tower that would commemorate this 
and also show the superiority of their system of government over what West Germany was following. With me so far? See, West Germany had freedom of religion, they had churches, they had all this kind of stuff. East Germany was very much anti-God, anti-church, anti-Christian, you can't worship God, we're a secular state. And they wanted to build this tower, so they built this tower, it's called the Berlin Television Tower, it still exists today. And at the time, it was one of the very tallest towers in the world, certainly in, in Europe, and the architecture featured at the top a giant silver sphere that looked exactly like the Sputnik, the satellite. And it was all finished, and it was great fanfare, and they were very excited, and the East German government was like, look at our tower, aren't we amazing, this is incredible. But what they realized is that every day, when the sun would shine, an image of a cross would appear in light on their tower. And the East Germans didn't like that, because they knew the cross represented Jesus and represented Christianity. So they tried to put special anti-reflective paint on this thing, it still showed the cross. They tried to scuff it all up and scour it down so it wouldn't reflect anything, it still showed the sign of the cross. It didn't matter what they did, it still showed the sign of the cross. And, you know, people started to call it in, in West Germany when they would look across the wall and they would see this tower and the cross on the tower, they started calling it the Pope's Revenge because, you know, they hated Christianity and here was the very sign of Christianity riding over the heart of East German Berlin. You see, the truth of the matter is, is it doesn't matter how much mankind rejects God's message. It doesn't matter how much mankind stands in opposition to God's message. God's message will still find a way of getting out, amen? And it was the same with Jesus in Nazareth. It didn't matter that they rejected Him. It didn't matter that they rejected the message. Jesus was not going to be stopped by rejection. His message was still going to get out. And he went to the next town, and his, town and, and his message did get out, didn't it? Amen? See, how many, peop how many people are Cairns born here? Anyone here actually born in Cairns here today? One? Just one. The rest of us aren't born in Cairns, right? Now, for those of you, perhaps you were born up in the islands. Do you ever have that sense where you want to be home? Oh, yeah, Freddie was born in Cairns too, wasn't he? <laughs> oh, mercy. You ever have that sense where you want to go home? Where you just miss home and you want to be home? Right? You, you miss home. You miss home sometimes, don't you, Sister Minnie? We don't know where home is for you. New Zealand, Dubai, India, who knows? Right? <laughs> India. <laughs> right? We, we miss home sometimes, right, Dad? And, 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 and I guess Jesus was like that as well. It was nice for him to come home in Nazareth. And it makes sense to me why he would perhaps want to start his ministry in Nazareth. He would know people and people would know him. He was the hometown boy, amen? And, and you know, the Bible says in Luke 4 verse 16 that as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And perhaps this was even the synagogue that Jesus went to as a little boy, right? Perhaps the same people who were serving were the same people who were serving when Jesus was little, amen? And, and everyone would have seen him when he came in and gone, oh, look, there's Jesus. Wow, he's grown up. Man, Right? That, that, you know, that the grandmother that would come up and grab Jesus' cheek, oh, you're so cute, Jesus, I know you. Right? Because he'd grown up in that area. Everybody knew him. 
he was the hometown. And, 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 and they knew his parents because they remarked, is not this Joseph's son? They knew exactly who Jesus was. But here's the thing. Jesus' neighbors, Jesus' friends, Jesus' family, the people he grew up with in Nazareth, they were willing to accept him as Jesus, the son of Mary and the son of Joseph. But they were not willing to recognize his status as the Son of God, because that's what he was saying. He said that scripture in Isaiah, and then he said, this day is this word being fulfilled in your ears. Amen? Here's the thing. Sometimes people that we love the most will not accept the decision to follow God's call. And what do we face then? Rejection. They won't accept that we want to live for something greater than what they might be living for. They won't accept that there's something more important to us than what they have to offer currently, amen. And, and, and you know, sometimes having the anointing of God on our life means we have to forego some other things that we might like to live with sometimes. Because it's a common truth, you cannot please everybody. You can't make everybody happy. And so as Christians, our first desire should be we want to please God. But we have to recognize that sometimes when we do that, we will face rejection. And that's what Jesus was facing from his friends, from his family, from the people who knew him. Willing to accept him as just a man, as Jesus, the son of Mary and Joseph, but not willing to accept him as the Son of God. And I think this comes because people do not understand what is going on in people's lives. They don't understand what God is doing in our life. And I think this was the case with the people in Nazareth as well. See, Jesus had been coming to the Sabbath, to the synagogue, every Sabbath, because that was his custom. And then he goes into the wilderness for 40 days. He disappears from church for 40 days. A pastor starts calling him, hey, you haven't seen you for a while. He's gone. And then he comes back, but there's something different about him because the Bible said he came in the power of the Spirit. And that was a step too far. That change was rejected by the people at Nazareth because they wanted to keep Jesus as just the son of Mary and Joseph. Amen? And the same thing happens in our life. People don't recognize what God is doing in our life. And so they reject what God is doing in our life. And in doing so, they can often reject us. And that's because they don't understand the change that is happening in us. Amen. See, here's another, here's another interesting thing that ties in with the fact that this was Jesus' hometown. Put your hands up. This is, this is a great. This is like a poll Sunday. We're asking lots of questions. Who's been to Taco Bell in town? Yeah, one, two. Come on, be honest. You haven't been to Taco Bell. You know what? My first time I ever ate Taco Bell. It was after church on a Sunday night somewhere near Tulsa in Oklahoma. My mom and dad were flying in that night, so we couldn't go home. And so after church, we went to Taco Bell. Never had Taco Bell in my life. Oh, so good. I like Taco Bell. It was really, really nice. And then we came back to Australia, and then I heard they are opening a Taco Bell cans oh wow and I'm waiting for the update and I'm waiting for the update and it opens and there's big purple balloons and crowds and crowds and crowds of people and I'm lining up to get my chicken quesadilla and corn chips because that's what I really like and it takes like 45 minutes to get it and you finally get it and you taste it ah oh, so good I haven't had this for like three years but what happens you keep going and you keep going and you keep going 
And eventually, you stop going to Taco Bell quite so often. Why? Because it's available and it's becoming familiar. I haven't eaten a Taco Bell now for about six months. <laughs> From being so excited about it opening to all of a sudden like, yeah, it's okay, I can get it. Or I want Taco Bell tonight. I don't know. See, familiarity breeds contempt. Right? And the people in Nazareth were very familiar with Jesus. They had seen him growing up. They had seen him learning how to be a carpenter. They'd seen him in the synagogue every single Sunday. Saturday, sorry, Saturday. They'd seen him in the synagogue every single Saturday. Right? And so they were familiar with him. And so they couldn't accept what was different. And, and so we have to be careful that the same thing doesn't happen to us. Amen? We have to be careful that the same thing does not happen to us, amen. We are destined, we can, sorry, we can become desensitized to the leading of the Holy Spirit, right? The Apostle John warned the church of Laodicea in Revelation about this. He said, you're neither hot nor cold. You're good for nothing. You're lukewarm, right? And, and this familiarity with Jesus can start to breathe this thing in our heart where we're just like, yeah, I go to church. Yeah, it's like, and it doesn't become as important to us. And this was the spirit that was in the heart of the people at Nazareth. They just had familiarity with Jesus. They knew who he was. So it didn't matter what he was saying anymore. Amen. And so the same thing can happen to us if we are not careful. Amen. The Spirit told the church at Laodicea that they were to anoint thine eyes with iron salve that thou might see. The point is, is that the church at Laodicea needed to see them as God saw them in need of him. Right. And that's how we stop that familiarity, that Nazareth attitude getting bred in our heart. Amen? Where we ask God to say, hey, help me to see myself as you see me. Help me to see that I need you, Jesus. I still need you today. Just as much as I needed you five years ago. Just as much as I needed you when I first came to the Lord. Amen? You with me? See, the longer we walk for God, the more we have to be on guard against the tendency to take Him for granted. Amen? When we read God's Word, we get to a chapter that we've read so many times. Our mind can sometimes switch off and we don't even take it in anymore. Right? Why? Because we're familiar with it. We understand it. We know what it's saying. And, 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 and so we have to watch out for that spirit. This is what the Nazareth church, the Nazareth synagogue was struggling with. They were just familiar with Jesus. Amen? Here's the other thing we learn from, from this little passage of Scripture. You know, God's promises are not just for a select group of people, amen? You believe that? Amen. You know, this was a difficult lesson for Israel to learn. And it can be very difficult for us to accept today as well, amen? We're very comfortable believing that God wants to reach people who think like us, who look like us, who act like us, who have the same culture and values as us, amen? It can be more difficult for us to accept that God wants to reach others as well, that there are people out there who do not look like us, who do not talk like us, who do not think like us, and God loves them, and God wants to see them saved as well, amen. And, and if we're not careful, that can cause us to miss the work that God wants to do with us. Now, this is what we saw in Nazareth. At first, Jesus' sermon was well received by the people in Nazareth, Amen. In verse 22 in Luke chapter 4, it says, They wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. Sounds good, doesn't it? But then their attitude changed. 
because Jesus knows people's hearts. And Jesus started to tell them a story. He said, you know what? Back in the old days, when there was a famine for three and a half years, I think the Bible says, three or three and a half years, in the land of Israel, there was lots of hungry people, but Elijah was only sent to one widow, and that widow was a Gentile. There was plenty of other widows who were Jews who were also struggling, but Elijah was sent to a Gentile. Because at that time, Israel was backslidden. And it didn't matter if Israel had rejected God, God's work would still be done. And so God did a miracle through the widow, through Elijah, and completely ignored everybody else. He told another story. He said, Elisha was there, and he only healed one person of leprosy, and he wasn't even Jewish. And he was Naaman, the Syrian. Amen. And even Jesus, later on in his ministry, when, when, when he came to the centurion, and the centurion said, look, my servant is sick, can you just say the word, and I know he'll be healed. What was Jesus' comment? Jesus' comment was, I have not seen such great faith, no, not in Israel. Even my people who know me, who have served me for generations, they don't even have as much faith as what this Gentile does, right? And, and this is where Jesus lost, if you want to put it that way, the crowd in the synagogue at Nazareth. Why? Because they believe that, okay, well, you're not even the Son of God, but if you were the Son of God, you should only be dealing with us. You should only be working with us. You shouldn't be talking to anyone else out there. You shouldn't worry about the Gentiles. We're chosen people. Amen? See, and this is the thing. Outsiders often accepted Jesus' claim long before the Jews did. Amen? Amen? You know, Jesus' earthly ministry testified that the, the fact that God's promises are not constrained by national borders or limited to a certain ethnicity or tribe or culture group or nation or anything like that. Jesus was willing and remains willing to respond to anyone who exercises faith. And that is important for us in this church because we live in a city that is a melting pot of cultures and nations and nationalities and tribes and languages and tongues and we cannot just reach for our own people we can't just reach for people who are like that like us we have to reach for everybody because the gospel is for everybody can someone say amen Amen. God has always had a plan that is bigger than a select group of people. Amen. Acts chapter 2 and verse 39. Amen. On the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and says, The promise is unto you and to your children and to all who are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. But what we don't stop to think about is the audience to whom Peter is speaking to. See, if you read earlier on in the book of Acts, the Bible says that all these nations who were Jewish proselytes from all around the world had traveled to Jerusalem at that time. And when God's Spirit was poured out, they all heard their own language being spoken. Right, So we know there was people from different languages and different tribes and different cultures and different countries and different backgrounds. And Peter stands up and says, it's for you and for your children and to all who are afar off. God's gospel is not limited to any one type of people or any one nation or any one person. Amen. It is for everybody. And we need to make sure we understand that. 
because the people in Nazareth allowed their biases to stop them receiving what God wanted to do. See, they were all fine while Jesus was saying nice things from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was a nice Jewish prophet. But when Jesus turned around and said, yeah, the gospel that Isaiah is talking about, that I'm preaching, it's not just for you. It's for everybody. That's when they lost it. Amen. And we have to be careful that we don't allow that to enter into our life. Think about Peter. Even Peter nearly fell into this trap. Right? Acts chapter 10. Right? Cornelius was in prayer, a Gentile. And, and an angel appears to him and says, Send to Joppa, call one Peter. He's living with Simon the Tanner. He will come and he'll tell you what to do. Right? Peter has to get a vision three times before he understands, I think. And I know there's probably some similarities. In fact, there was three men at the door when they knocked on the door. I get that. But, but Peter was like, no, no, God, I'm not going to kill and eat something that's unclean. I've kept the law ever since I was born. Right? And God said, what I have called clean, don't you call unclean. Right? And so Peter went. He didn't go alone. He took some people with him. Maybe he was nervous about going to a Gentile's house all by himself. And he went there, and the Bible says he's like, okay, I'm going to start preaching. You know, and he starts preaching. And while he is preaching, before they are ever baptized, God fills them with the Holy Spirit. Because God's like, come on, Peter. Come on. You're just taking too long. Let me take over for you. Amen? Why? Because Peter was nervous. Peter was worried. Hang on. No, no, no. This is meant to be just for us. I don't know quite, God, what you're doing here. And yet, God poured out his Spirit on the Gentiles. Amen? And, and, and it's, it's that that allowed him to then turn around afterwards and say, well, I can perceive now that God is no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter what the culture background is. It doesn't matter what country you come from. It doesn't matter what your heritage is. God's gospel is still for you. Amen? The good news is still for you. Amen? And so we have to choose to believe all of God's promises. You know, it's interesting because Luke then compared and contrasted the response of the people at Nazareth with what happened at the synagogue in Capernaum. So Jesus' next stop in Capernaum, he also preached. In Nazareth, he was given the opportunity to preach, and the people refused to believe. But he preached in Capernaum, and what he preached about in Isaiah became a reality, right? Let's just read that again. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, verse 18, because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives who was sitting in the synagogue in Capernaum, a captive. He was demon-possessed. He was a captive, right? And so... The very same word that was just theoretical in Nazareth, because the people believed to refuse that it could apply to anyone else beyond them, became a reality for the people in Capernaum. 
right? And we have to make sure, again, that we don't fall into the same thinking, where God's word just becomes theoretical to us, where it's a nice word and it's a good word and it, it, it helps us out a lot and it really encourages us, but is it changing our life? See, that, that man who had the demon who came into the synagogue at Capernaum, his life was changed because that scripture in Isaiah was not just a theoretical, but he got an actual deliverance from an actual spirit who was holding him bondage, amen. See, see, some people are just content with hearing God's word. And that's what happened at Nazareth. Jesus stood up, he preached Isaiah. Oh, wow, you just, you spoke that scripture so good, your tone was so good, and oh, you're just amazing, Jesus. But then Jesus turned around and gave it the application. And he said, that word is being fulfilled in me. And not only is it being fulfilled in me, but that word applies to everybody. That's when they lost it, right? Because they were happy with God's word being preached. They were happy with it being theoretical as long as it didn't change their life or change their worldview. Hello? See, we can't be content with just hearing God's word, but we have to be willing to step out in faith and say, God, I need your word to change my heart. I need your word to change my outlook, to change my worldview into your worldview. I need to see things like you see things. And that only happens when by faith we apply God's word to our heart. Amen. Faith is what makes the difference. We cannot just be satisfied with hearing God's word. We have to have the faith to see God's word become reality in our life, in our church, in our families, in our homes, in our businesses, amen. God's word has to become a reality. Someone say amen. Amen. See, Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would be despised and rejected of men. Isaiah 53 verse 3 tells us that. And Jesus frequently faced rejection during his ministry, including rejection from people in his hometown. But Jesus never let rejection derail his ministry. Whether they welcomed Jesus to the city with open arms, or whether they tried to lead him to a hill and throw him off it, Jesus didn't allow either to affect his calling and to affect his ministry. He continued to be faithful to his calling. His example stands as a challenge to us to be faithful in our calling. What are we called? We're called to be Christians. We are called to follow Jesus. But often we are so bound by people's opinion of us. Hello? And we face rejection because of who we are and we try modify ourselves so that person doesn't reject us anymore touching something I can feel it amen but what we should be doing is saying well let God be true and every man a liar amen that's what Jesus attitude was his attitude was I'm gonna fulfill my calling you can like me you can hate me neither one really matters to me I'm gonna stay on the path that God has for my life that's what Jesus attitude was our attitude needs to be the same you can like me you can hate me I don't care either way I'm gonna live for God I'm gonna do what God has called me to do for me personally people might like the fact that I'm a pastor 
pastor. People might hate the fact that I'm a pastor. I don't care. God has called me to be a pastor. And so that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to pursue. That's what I'm going to chase down. Amen. We cannot allow other people's opinions of us, positive or negative, to influence us when it comes to following God's will for our life. Amen. And I, I think we struggle with that. I really think we struggle with that sometimes. Right? Because we are so swayed by what people think of us. If I do this, this group of people will like me. So we start doing that and then suddenly this group of people don't like me. So then we go over here and we do what they want. And then another group of people don't like what we were doing either there or there. And so we come back over here. At some stage, we have to learn to build our life on God's word, to build a life of holiness and separation unto God, to build a life of understanding that this life is the only life worth living, amen? And I'm not going to turn to the right, not going to turn to the left. If you're happy that I'm living for God, that's great. I'm happy that you're happy, but it's not going to change what I do. If you're angry that I'm living for God, I'm really sorry that you're upset, but it's not going to change what I'm going to do with my life because it's my life and my relationship with God. That's what Jesus' attitude was. It didn't matter that they rejected him in Nazareth. You don't read that when they took Jesus up to the hill, he was like, how dare you reject me? Give me some angels. I'm going to strike some people dead right now. This is enough. No, he just said he moved on. Just walked out. It's okay, fine. It's okay. I'm done. I'll move on. Amen. We have to learn to have the same kind of attitude. Amen. You see, it's tempting and very, very easy. I'm going to put that in there. It's very tempting and very, very easy to base our sense of self-worth on the acceptance of others. I'm going to say that again. It is very tempting and very, very easy to base our sense of self-worth on the acceptance of others. And that means we often bend our behavior to conform to the expectation of our associates. We judge whether we have done well by the feedback we receive from people. Hello? Now, Jesus never fell into the trap. Why? Because right from the very beginning, Jesus' life and his ministry was established on God's word and God's word alone. Amen? It wasn't established on humanity's approval and doing God's will put Jesus at odds. Right? And that's the other thing. If you're not being rejected for standing for God, you're not standing for God enough. Somebody out there is going to criticize you for standing for God. Hello? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It happened to Jesus. Why would we not expect it to happen with us? Jesus clashed with almost everybody at odds with him in his culture. He clashed with the Pharisees. He clashed with the Sadducees. But he never minced words to try and make them, get, make them approve him. He never changed or watered down his message to try and make one group like him. Amen. He just preached God's word. His death came at the hand of the Romans. Think about this. Jesus was so focused on doing God's will that he's standing before the Roman governor who has the power to execute him or let him go. One stroke of a pen was all it would take and Jesus would be free. And Pilate reminds Jesus of that. He says, don't you know that I have the power to kill you or deliver you? Now, I think some of us would be tempted to go, oh, yes, Pilate, we appreciate you. You're a wonderful human being. We think you have a great sense of style. And what an amazing hair do you have? Please, can you let me go? Now, Jesus turned around and almost in an inflammatory manner, 
said, you don't have any power unless God has given it to you. He is attacking the very power base that Pilate claims to stand on. He said, you're only here because God gave you the power. Right? That's how focused Jesus was. He knew what the truth was, and he wasn't going to be swayed from standing for it. Amen? That's where Jesus stood. He, he took authority, and he took it from God's words. Amen? And, and, and despite all of that, even Jesus' enemies recognized that it was God. Think about this. One of the Pharisees who witnessed Jesus' miracles in John chapter 3, Nicodemus, he acknowledged that he was a teacher come from God. The Roman centurion who witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus said, truly, this was the Son of God. But see, the most important thing to Jesus was not whether his enemies liked him or whether his friends liked him, but his most important thing to him was when he was baptized and Jesus said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That's the acceptance that Jesus as a man was looking for. He wanted to know, is my father pleased? And that's the attitude we have to carry in this life as well. Whether it's at work, whether it's at school, whether it's at home, whether it's with our friends. Is God happy with us? If God is happy with us, I don't care about the rest of the world. They can be happy, they can be sad, they can be angry. That's entirely up to them. But if God is happy with what I'm doing with my life, that's where I'm going to stand. If God is approving of where I'm leading my life and how I'm serving Him, then I'm happy. Because God's happy. And that's my only approval that I need in my life. Amen? Is God happy? Yes, He is. Amen? Jesus recorded, we're nearly done here. Jesus recorded that the people of Capernaum were astonished at the preaching of Jesus. Because His word, the Bible says, was with power in verse 32. And then after seeing Him cast the devil out of the man in the synagogue, they remarked in amazement, what a word this is. For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. Right? And, and Jesus clearly expects us, as his New Testament believers, to follow in his footsteps and to exercise the same authority and the same power that he exercised. Jesus promised to baptize us with the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. He said in Acts 1 and 8, but you shall receive power after that. The Holy Spirit has come upon you. Amen. That Holy Spirit would be accompanied with miraculous signs, including power over spirits, deliverances, and supernatural healing and protection. Amen. These signs were intended to confirm that the authority of our ministry does not rest on us. And see, this is the danger of living our life looking for approval for other people. Our authority becomes rested on them. But when we live our life according to God's word and miracles, signs, and wonders happen, we understand it's not because we're amazing. It's not because we're great. It's not because we've got lots of friends. It's because I'm building my life on God's word. And if I'm doing that, we can expect those signs to follow us. Amen. Do you believe that this morning? They intend to confirm that the authority that we stand in is not based on us, but is based on the Word of God and on the Spirit of God. Amen? And so then it stands to us then. Understanding all of that is that even if others reject us, we will still do what God has called us to do. You know, God closes some doors. He really does. There's doors in our life that God will close. Other doors close because we are faithless or we're disobedient or we're not living for God like we should. 
But we cannot let the disappointment of closed doors and rejection stop us from walking through the open doors that God has given us. Amen? Jesus didn't quit preaching just because things didn't go well at Nazareth. Can you imagine the very first time you preached and you bombed out so bad the people hated you so much they actually wanted to kill you? Would you want to get up and preach again? Yeah, let's do that again. That was fun. No, we'd be tempted to go, you know what? Maybe I missed my calling. Maybe I'm not meant to be a preacher. Maybe I'm meant to be a carpenter. Hello? Amen. Right? But Jesus didn't allow what happened in Nazareth to influence him. He didn't quit preaching. He continued to fulfill God's calling. And so we understand then that our anointing does not come from our neighbors. It does not come from our family. It does not come from our friends. It's not based on the acceptance of others. Our anointing comes from God. He is the one who has called us. He is the one who has anointed us, not so we can be anyone special, so that we can carry on His mission despite the times that we get rejected. We will not be stopped by rejection. Amen? Praise the Lord. Why don't we all stand this morning? You know, how we respond to rejection is the difference between success and failure in both life and ministry. Right? We face rejection all the time. You know, the reason, let me tell you something. The reason I'm pastoring up here is because I was rejected. True story. If I'd had my way in the flesh, I'd be working a job in Sydney right now. That's where I was trying to get to, Brother Stan. After I came back from Vanuatu, I was trying to get a job in Sydney. And I got rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected. Man, I was just getting ready to rock up the interview with a, I'm sorry, you've been unsuccessful letter already written for them. All they need to do is sign it. And it wasn't until I started going, okay, God, clearly I'm not meant to be here. Where am I meant to be going? And that's when the door opened and I came up here. Amen. So it was rejection that led me here, right? Rejection is a way of working out, am I on the right path or am I on the wrong path? Amen. When the wrong people are rejecting you, hey, great, I'm on the right path. When the right people are rejecting you, and I mean that in a good way, then you know, hang on, I've got to get something right here. Am I living for God? Am I on God's word? Amen. There's a story of a man by the name of Monty Roberts. He was a young fella. His father was a horse trainer. Very, very, um, very poor. Kind of just traveled from town to town training horses in America and um, young Monty would be constantly pulled out from one school, put into another school, sort of like every six to eight months, right? So he wasn't very well educated. He was really struggling. But he got to one school, and the teacher gave them all a, an assignment and said, I want you to write me a paper on what you want to be when you grow up. So Monty wrote this paper, and he wrote it all down, and he wrote a seven-page paper about how he was going to be a great horse trainer with his own big ranch in California, and everything was going to be amazing. He was going to be very wealthy, and it was going to be great. And he handed it in to the teacher, seven pages. And he got it back three days later. The teacher gave him an F. And he went to the teacher and said, why did you give me an F? And the teacher said, well, your dream is too ridiculous for someone in your situation. You're never going to get that. Why don't you go back, write something a little bit more realistic, and then resubmit it, and I'll regrade it. So Monty thought about that for three or four days and the story goes and he came back to his teacher and he said, well, teacher, you can keep your F and I will keep my dream and we will see what happens. And today, he's fulfilled his dream. 
He's one of the world's best known horse trainers if you're in that industry. He's got a massive ranch in California. He is an incredible trainer. Why? Because he didn't allow the rejection that his teacher gave him to influence him. But he chased the dream. What dream has God given you in your life? What things do you see doing in your life because of God's anointing on your life? Where do you see God taking you? Don't give up on that dream and don't allow the rejection of others to take you away from what God would give you. Praise the Lord. Why don't we close our eyes? Let's bow our head, precious Jesus. Thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for life class, Lord Jesus. Lord, we have spoke today about facing rejection, Lord. And sometimes, Lord, if we're honest, it hurts when we're rejected. We, we want to make people happy. We want to be liked, Lord Jesus. We want to have good relationships with people, Lord God. But ultimately, Father, we want to please you. That's our plan. That's what we desire, Lord God. That's why we're even here today, Lord Jesus, because we want to live for you, God. And, and Lord, we understand that sometimes that might mean people will reject us. People will turn their backs on us, Lord, and that will be painful for us, God. But we recognize, Lord, that serving you is the greatest greatest privilege we could ever have, Lord God. So I pray for each person that is here today, each person that could be watching on our live stream, Lord, that when those moments of rejection come, Lord, because they are standing on your word and their life is based in truth, Lord God, that they would understand, no, 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 yeah, the rejection's going to hurt, but my life is sold out for Jesus. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to turn away and walk away, Lord God. Lord, help us, Jesus, as it were, to have spiritual backbone, Lord, to stand when that happens to recognize, Lord, that we are standing for something far greater than anything else, Lord God. Lord Jesus understood that just because he was rejected in Nazareth did not indicate that he had failed his mission, Lord. Just because we face rejection does not mean that you are unhappy with us, Lord God. Help us to keep our eyes on you, Lord God, as the only source of approval that we will ever need in our life. We love you. We praise you. We thank you in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Praise the Lord. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, God bless you. Let's uh, make sure we shake hands. Make sure everyone's got a friend in God's house this morning.